Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 7. Mark 7. Mark chapter 7. Well, in every culture in society, they have some different rules that are sometimes kind of odd. When I was over in uh, Indonesia visiting my sister, I found out that when you're sick over there, people come and visit you. And many times, out of kindness, in their mind, they will sit there in the room and just sit there while you're laying there, sick, coughing, whatever it is. And in their culture, that's, that's a rule, if you want to say. That's something you should do to be kind to people. And we look at that and we go, well, get out of my room if I'm sick, right? Well, in America, when we greet people, we automatically put our hand out and spread our germs, don't we? I mean, right in the middle of flu season, even though we know that family has bronchitis or whatever else, you know, it's shake my hand and then we wipe our face or whatever it is, you know? Well, here in the Mark chapter 7, we find the Jewish culture had some rituals they went through. And they would wash their hands in a certain way before they ate. They would wash their pots in certain ways. They would take baths when they went, came from the marketplace. And so they had these different cultural things. And they actually viewed them not just as a cultural thing. They actually viewed them as God's laws. Those laws aren't found in the Old Testament. These are laws that the rabbis taught um, that this is how a person is made righteous in God's eyes. So Mark chapter 7, we started this last week, and we learned that the Pharisees were trying to discredit Jesus by accusing him and his disciples of being defiled because they didn't follow those, those rules that they had. Particularly, they didn't follow the endless rules uh, by the uh, rabbis written in the Mishnah. And so, if you remember from last week, we said defile just basically means polluted or unclean or profane in the eyes of God. And essentially what the Pharisees were accusing Jesus and his disciples of, really the disciples, was that they were profaning God by, by doing things that were not according to their religious customs. In their view, if a person did not follow their religious rules, then that person was defiled or they were profaning God. Which, of course, Jesus then came back. And he refuted this and actually taught them that they were replacing their God's word with their commands. They were replacing God's word with their commands. And actually, he turns it as an opportunity to teach them what evil really is. They had their view of sin and evil. And he says, actually, God has a different idea. And so in, in chapter 7, what we see here are two opposing views of evil, the nature of evil. The Pharisees had their view. And again, we covered this last week. Look down in verse number five. Here they are indicting the disciples saying in verse five, why are you, your disciples not walking according to the traditions of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands in their view. They were sinning against God. But then Jesus refused this. And actually, if you look down in verse 23, the conclusion of our message, we'll see this today, that he says, God's view of evil is this. All these things, the things that you do that, that break God's laws, come from within and they defile a person. In other words, true defilement comes from a person who breaks God's laws, whose heart is separated and, and sinful before God. 
So we're going to look at two views of evil. So if you remember here last week, you can uh, open up your bulletin. I guess everyone can open your bulletin. You can see our outline in there. We're going to go through the last three points of each of those views. So last week we saw that man's view of evil was that they can set the standard themselves. That man sets his own standard for good and for evil. And for the Pharisees and, and the rabbis, they, that was set by the tradition of the elders. We learn that every society, every subculture, they define good and evil by their own standard. No matter, no matter whether you're religious or secular, even people who claim to be atheists or agnostics, they have their own standard of good and evil. And the question is not if you have a standard of good and evil. The question is what? Does your standard of good and evil line up with God's standard of good and evil? So God's view of evil is that the standard of evil is set by him in the word of God. So God is good. God is holy. And he actually is the standard for good. And anything opposed to him is evil. And he communicates who he is in the word of God. So we look to God's word for the standard of good and evil. So we're going to see this contrast here as we go through Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. So look down in verse number 1. Mark 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, that is Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem... Uh, I lost my place. Verse two, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed for the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, according to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and of copper vessels and dining couches. Verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of man. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would, uh, have gained from me as Corbin that is given to God, then you are no longer permitted to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we commit this passage to you. We want to understand the truth of this passage we don't want to superimpose our own ideas upon the text. We want you to speak to us truly. Help us to interpret in a way that gives the understanding of what you wanted us to know. And I pray you'll help us to know the truth, but then also to apply it to our life and to by faith 
trust you and walk with you and depend upon you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The two views of evil here then are, first of all, man's view is that the standard is set defined by man. You can see also there that the scope of evil in man's view is that the problem of evil is someone else's problem. It's not my problem. In other words, many people believe, well, I'm basically a a good person, right? If there is evil in the world, people believe there is evil in the world, but it's not my problem. It's not me. In fact, you see this with the Pharisees here in verse 2. They saw, you can see in that word saw, it's like like they're they're glaring, like we're looking for something wrong with these guys. And then in verse 5, it's like, ha, Jesus, I found it. Here is the sin that you're committing. Look at verse 6. He said to them, Jesus said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? He called them a name. He actually described how they were living. Why did he call them hypocrites? Because they were willing to point out the sin of others, but ignored their own sin. Some people say that, right? They say, I'm not going to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Or those people are all hypocrites. One man said this to his friend when his friend said that. He said, well, there's always room for one more. <laughs> but, but, you know, think about it. Seriously, some, these men and people were hypocrites. And hypocrisy is this. Hypocrisy is the presentation or of appearance that you are good and virtuous while concealing the true hidden character of your heart. But God sees our heart. And with man's view, other people have the problem, not me. And a person that, that thinks that way, a person that compares himself with someone else says, well, they're bad and I'm better than them. What you're doing is you are replacing your God with yourself. And you're making yourself the standard of good, which obviously is blasphemy. And you are, you are also ignoring your own sinful depravity. A man's view is that other people have the problem. I'm basically good. In fact, if you ask Pretty much anyone in society, this is what people will say. It's interesting that the past number of weeks, past four weeks, I've been able to talk to three people about the Lord. One person just walked in the property here and wanted to get directions. So, like, hey, you're talking to the pastor, by the way. Well, I didn't tell him that, but he found out the end. And I got to talk to him about the Lord. Another lady was on the property. Another guy came by, uh, wanted to talk to a pastor about doing some work on the property. So all these individuals are just here, and I've a great opportunity to talk to them. So I went through what I typically do is trying to find out what they believe. What do you believe first before I can, so it can help me understand how I can help you from God's word, although they weren't asking for help. So spiritually, but interesting as I, these different individuals had different backgrounds. One was Jewish, one was Catholic, one was secular. And I went through different questions. You know, what's interesting. They pretty much gave the same answers. And what's actually interesting is I pretty much find that to be almost universal that people give the same answers. And here's the questions I asked. You've heard these before. You know, I asked them, do you believe in heaven or hell? You know, do you believe there's a place for people like Hitler? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I believe in heaven and hell. Okay, so you believe in heaven and hell. How does a person get to heaven? Oh, I, I think a person gets to heaven by being a good person, following God's laws, whatever that looks like. Uh, and do you think you're going to heaven? That's another question I'll ask. And they'll say, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. And I'll say, well, why? Why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, because I'm following God's laws. I'm a pretty good person. I'm basically good. Well, then who goes to hell? Oh, well, all the really bad people go to hell. But that's not me. 
And what I want you to see, the reason I say that is like, I want you to see something that, that universally is, are, is the perspective of people in our world. No matter if you're religious, secular, or whatever, it's, it's, it's what most, how most people view life. And that is there's other people that are bad. I'm not. I'm basically a good person. That's a natural thought. That in human view, other people have the problem. But I want you to say, before we go into the next part, I want you to remember that those are the people that Jesus says are actually on their way to hell. Because look at God's perspective of evil. God's view is the scope of evil is universal. There's a universal problem every person has, and we are all sinners. The Pharisees thought, well, we're good. We're not that bad, not as bad as you guys. Look, you don't follow our rules. And Jesus turned the tables, and he says, actually, all of you have a problem. It's not the problem he had, because he was the only one that ever walked this earth to live a perfect life. But everyone else had fallen short of God's glory. Look down in verse 6. He says to them, he turns it on them, and he says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips. So, so externally, they seemed good. I might ask you, are you a good person? You say, oh, yeah, I go to church. Like, I sing hymns in church. I read the Bible. And so that's, that's these men right here. Externally, they seemed like good people. You know what? I think they probably thought they were good people. I think if you probably would ask these questions to them, they would say, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. Yeah, I mean, I pray publicly. Everyone sees it. But what does God say? They honor them, honor God with their lips. What does verse 6 say? But their heart is far from me. In other words, God's view is that they have a profane, defiled heart. Verse 7, in vain do they worship me. Their worship means nothing to God. Do you know it's possible you might be in here today, you might have sung at the top of your lungs to the Lord? But it may, maybe it was it's vain worship. And he says, why? He says, the teaching that they teach is the doctrines and commandments of men. They reject God's word and his commandments to follow their own tradition. So how did God view these pious teachers called Pharisees? Well, he saw them as they truly were people whose hearts were far from God with sinful, lawless hearts. Just like you. In me, apart from God, like every person who walks this earth. And so the two views of good and evil. The third point here is that man's view of evil is that the source of evil comes from the outside or external. The source of evil comes from external or physical problems. So after Jesus disputed with, his, with the Pharisees, look at verse 14, he talks to the crowd and brings a crowd together and talks about the source of evil. So verse 14, he says, and he called the people to him again. And he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. So Jesus is about to teach on evil. And he says, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples, so he goes to a smaller group of teaching his disciples, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? 
Thus he declared all foods clean. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within. And they defile a person. So the view of the Pharisees, which I think is actually representative of of most people in the world and their view. And that is that the problems we face in our society and the problems we face in our life are external problems or or maybe mere physical problems. This was the belief of the Pharisees. It's like if you if you touch this, then you're unclean and not just ceremonial, like you can't go into the temple. It's like actually you're an unclean person, like you're a sinner before God. And if you do this, then this, this makes you unclean or unholy. And if you, do, if you do something else, if you do some kind of ceremony, then you actually can be made holy. So that's kind of their view they had. And so the, the, the sin's source, in their view, was an ex, this external physical problem. And therefore, the solution was a physical external solution. Which, again, I said, is, I think, what many people, how many people view it and see it in our society. So you say, well, what, what does that look like in our society? Well, think about it this way. What makes a person do what he does? Our society asks that question all the time. Why does a boy go into a school and shoot up a school? And people want to know that. Like, why would that happen? Or, or why would a seemingly good spouse and a good marriage end in adultery? Well, why would that guy leave his wife and you never seen this it's like this, his wife's beautiful. And it's like, and for that, like, why does he do that? And sometimes it doesn't make sense, right? Why would a multimillionaire living in Hollywood bribe a university to get their child into that school? Like a multimillionaire would bribe. Why? Like, why would you do that? Why are our prisons full of men and women who have done so many evil things? Well, and humanity concludes that the source of evil comes from some kind of external or physical problem. So some people say this, well, that person had a bad childhood or, or those they had friends or influences that caused him to do this or that. Or they have a, a biological propensity towards evil or, or maybe it's a chemical imbalance or some kind of disorder or, or maybe they're genetically predisposed for that or that person's watched those movies and it made them think a certain way or video games and that's why they did what they did or they were they weren't born into a privileged life like you were so therefore they did that or or they don't have the talents that other people have and and so our society wants to find a source of evil like what is it what is it? okay was it this or was it that was it a combination of these things and i want you to say, I want to say first of all that your parents your upbringing movies mental problems drugs there's there are a lot of things that influence you okay I am not denying that they have an effect and they have a severe effect. The Bible actually agrees with that. Like if I have a four-year-old and I make them stay up till midnight, like they're probably going to be disobedient at some point, right? Why? Well, there's some external realities. They're tired. What do they need? They need to go to bed, right? And so if it's 11 o'clock and I'm like, you just need to obey. Yeah, maybe you should look at some of the things that are affecting them. So that's, that's a reality that we have to think about there's a physical exhaustion like if you have a physical problem go to the doctor and get it taken care of go to the doctor and get it taken care of if you find yourself 
uh, depressed because you're scrolling on social media all week, like you probably need to cut that back. If, if, and, and, I, and I think maybe your genetics do play a part in some of your desires and your tastes and, and drugs and video games and friends can and will influence you. And so the Bible talks about these things. You know, if sinners entice you, don't consent. Okay, so you got to be careful about those influences. And don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So that, that's in there. And those influences are problems. And they can inflame things and make it worse. But I, I would say this. At the core of what is actually the problem, what is the actual reason? If you boil it down, you say, what is the reason why people do what they do in regard to evil? What is it? Do those things affect it? Absolutely. But Jesus actually says, listen, you guys think it's all external? And he's going counterculture, not just to their culture, to pretty much all cultures and to our culture. Look it down in verse number 14. He says, hear me. All of you understand. In other words, so I'm going to give you some truth. You might not know, but I'm God, right? Jesus, this is Jesus. I'm God. Like, I know reality. So let me tell you in verse 15, there's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. In other words, you're, you're not made profane in God's eyes by those things, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And so he says, are you, in verse 18, are you without understanding? You know, even the disciples are a little shocked by this. It's like, well, this is something I've not, we've not heard. This is, this is interesting. And then Jesus says, in verse 20, he says, what comes out of a person, from their inner person, that defiles them. So God's view of evil is that the source of evil comes from a sinful heart. That's why he says in verse 20, it comes from within a person, comes from within them and comes out. So the source of your evil thoughts and your actions and your words come from your heart. You have a sinful heart that rejects God. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam. So Adam passed on to us the nature of sin. So death through sin. So death spread to all men. So we receive the nature, sinful nature from your parents. And they did from their parents. They did from their parents all the way back to Adam. And it says, so death spread to all people because all have sinned. And so all people are evil by nature and do evil by choice. It doesn't mean everything they do is evil. What it means is that just by nature, there's a, this brokenness within us that needs to be fixed. Now, you might be confused. So let me give you a little illustration. It's how I, it's how I think about it when I try to understand God's word and what he's teaching here. I want you to think about like a, a, small, a small fire of hot coals. Right? There are actually some places in the United States and other parts of the world where there are these, uh, these coals burning in the ground, and they can't put them out. And so, in fact, in fact, there's a city in Pennsylvania that was evacuated, and there, people don't live there anymore because there's coals burning in the ground. So I want you to think about these, maybe, maybe coals in a cauldron or a furnace or something, but these hot coals in a fire. And, and just consider these are, they're, they're coals that are impossible to put out. And, and a hot coals, hot coals can simmer. In fact, they can actually look like they're not even hot, right? You can look at them and maybe are gray, have a gray layer on top. And, and they can, but when you turn them over, what happens? You realize how hot they are on the inside. And when you put your hand in coals, what happens? It hurts, right? It hurts. And if you really want those coals to get going, you can poke it. And you can stoke the fire and it can flame up. If you really want to get going, you get some dry leaves and branches and you put them in there. Right? Don't do that in Simi Valley. And if you really want to get going, especially if you like to cook on a grill, you might get your lighter fluid and you know, spray it on there. 
Or if you're not very smart at all, you might get your gasoline and see it go boom. So just, I want to think about this illustration just of hot coals and think about your heart, your inner person. You have a, a sinful heart, the Bible teaches, and it's like those, those fires of coal. And the hot coals of your sin cannot be put out. There's something that is within you that's not something you can take away yourself. You might have tried. You might be like, oh, I'm going to try to, but you're, it's always with you, isn't it? And your sinful uh, heart is like those, those uh, that fire of coals, and you can't extinguish it. And your hot, sinful heart hurts you, doesn't it? Right? It can stoke up. It can inflame. And actually, it can hurt other people. And the fire of evil may, may hurt you with bitterness and with regret. Sometimes people reach into your life and you burn them. And sometimes that fire rages and it torches people with, with hateful words and vengeful actions. So, and I, so I guess when I think about like a, a, that kind of picture right there, it's possible to, to inflame a heart, isn't it? I mean, you can have someone in your life that knows how to stoke the fire. They kind of poke it, right? So sometimes you're maybe in a marriage or maybe you're in another relationship. You say, well, that person, I, I do this because of that person. Well, yeah, they, they probably know how to push your buttons. They probably know how to inflame the fire. You know, they know how to throw the little uh, dry leaves on the fire. So it goes like that, right? But really, the source of the problem is still in your heart, isn't it? Or think about it like this. You can... If you have a, a, a sinful heart that is a lustful heart, you can throw on that the accelerant of, of pornography or of, or of uh, X-rated movies, and it definitely inflames it, doesn't it? It can even blow your life up. And the point is, is that you might say, well, what is the problem? Is it the problem that I, that I watch those movies? Is it the problem that I have the internet and I look at those things on the internet? Well, definitely those, those inflame it, but the problem comes down to your heart. What we need, what we need is we need that fire extinguished. We need that fire extinguished. And so those external accelerants are real, but not the source of the problem. You have a sinful nature that needs to be extinguished and taken care of. And so... That's what Jesus taught in verse number 20, verse through 23. We're not going to read the whole thing, but if you look at that, he says, listen, defilement comes from men. And let me, let me show you some of the examples that show that you have a sinful heart. And so he goes to the verse 21 and 22, a list of those different examples of a sinful heart. Anyway, so let's just go through some of these and consider the sins that Jesus lists below. And let me, let me say this before we go into this. Jesus lists these sins to reveal to you that your thoughts, words, and actions reveal that you have a sinful nature. So that's why he's doing this. So let's look at some of those. Out of the heart of a man, out of your heart, comes, first of all, evil thoughts. Evil thoughts are the schemes that a person has with the intent to, to do something wrong or carry out some kind of evil action. So this includes evil thoughts like the thoughts of suicide or thoughts of harming another person, or hateful thoughts or schemes toward another person. Like, I'm going to get that person back. Oh, if I were just to say this, you know, <laughs> then I could really hurt them tomorrow. You know. So why does a person have evil thoughts? What is Jesus teaching? 
It comes from a sinful heart. How about the next one? Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality comes from the Greek word pornea, which refers to any sexual gratification outside of marriage. So this includes pornography, lustful thoughts, uh, emotional adultery, actual adultery, homosexuality, premarital sex. So why do people engage in sex outside of marriage? It comes from a sinful heart. How about the next one? Theft. Theft is taking something that's not yours or keeping something you should give back that was not yours. So why does a person steal? It comes from a? There we go. It comes from a? Sinful heart. How about murder? Murder means taking an innocent life. And so, of course, Jesus says that if you have hate in your heart, that's actually murder within your heart. It's not actual murder, but it's the, it's the steps that lead someone to that physical action of murder. And so he says like, that we should not even have hate in our heart because it's what it leads to. And so why does a person have hate in their heart? And in the end of that, why did this, was a person murder? It's because they have a sinful heart. How about the next one? Adultery that speaks of violating the covenant of marriage. Why does a person commit adultery? How about the next one? Coveting. That's discontentment with what God has given you. It's, it's longing, hoping for happiness in these things and not happy with God. And that fact that he's the one that supplies what you need. How about wickedness? These are deliberate actions that violate God's word. How about deceit? It's lying and twisting ideas to fit a narrative that is not true. How about sensuality? That's unbridled, shameless display of moral corruption. Envy. And that envy could be translated as the evil eyes. The idea that you look at life as unfair. When you look at other people, you think, I wish I had that. I can't believe God hasn't given me that. that. You might not say that. You might not even think that. That's kind of how you're looking at life. Or slander. That carries the idea of speaking ill of someone. Try to discredit them. How about pride? It's an arrogant view of yourself. Lifting yourself up above God and above other people. Foolishness is living a life without God. Without without God and not according to his will. So why do people do those things? It's because they have a sinful heart, is what Jesus teaches. So a person is seen as profane in God's eyes because of their sinful heart. Now, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 3? That's where Pastor Roger read from this morning. I want to show you some things. Romans chapter 3. We need to remember that God's view of us is different than how we view other people. The Lord told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord sees not like man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. That's all we really can do. But God, he sees the heart, the inner person. Right now, God knows your heart. And that's what he sees. So when Pastor Roger read through Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through verse 20, I mean, what he was reading was God's view of you. And a lot of these are quotations from Old Testament passages. So that's why they're kind of put in here like this. But look at verse 10. He says, it's written in the Old Testament, none is righteous. That's God's view of you. You're not right with God. You say, well, I'm a good person. That's not God's view of you. Verse 11, no one understands No one seeks God. You say, well, I do see God sometimes, but God's view of you is, listen, you have a heart that's far from God. You have a sinful heart. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. And so he's going through and he's saying, this is how God views people. 
God views us as people who are far from him. And look down in verse number 20. He says, for by the works of the law, no human being, no person will be justified or declared righteous. You might think, well, when I stand before God, I'm going to tell him, like, I've obeyed your laws, Lord. And he says, no human being will be declared righteous in his sight. For what does it say? Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. See, God's commands can't make you a righteous person. Actually, God's commands show you that you have a sinful heart. And that was actually what Jesus' point was here. Earlier, I told you about those three people at different times that I talked to over the past couple weeks. And I asked them the questions, you know, are you going to heaven? And, And what's interesting is their answer was, I keep God's laws, or I'm a good person, or I try to do good things. And for each person, their view of their sinfulness changed, though, when we started talking through what does God's word actually say about his commands. And it, their view changed. And why did it, why did it change? Because they, the God's law revealed to them that their hearts were far from them. And after I asked them what they believed, I asked, if you were wrong about what you believe, would you want to know? What do you think they said? Almost the same thing everyone says to me. Yes, I would want to know. Okay, and so I said, let me show you what God's word says. And the first thing that I do, that I would recommend you do when you talk to someone, after you find out what they believe, is go to the law. Show them what, how God views their heart, hearts. In Mark chapter 7, you don't have to go back there, stay in, Mark, in Romans, but Mark 7, that's what Jesus was doing there. He was saying, listen, you have evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. I mean, when you go through that, how do you feel afterwards? Like, do you feel bad? You should. Do you feel condemned? Yes, you should. That's how God views you. And as you consider who you are, how do you think God will judge you on judgment day? In other words, as, you, as God goes through those things, says this is who you are, what do you think his conclusion is going to be? <laughs> Go into heaven, it's fine. You'll be okay. Is that what he's going to conclude? No, he's a righteous judge. I mean, and the question is, as you consider who you are, in God's view that you are an evil thinker, you're immoral, you're a thief, you're a murderer at heart, you're an adulterer at heart, you're a coveter, you're a wicked deceiver, you're envious, you're a slanderer, and you're a prideful fool, God's conclusion will be, come into my heaven. No. No. I mean, should, after he, uh, after you realize how he views you, do you think he should send you to heaven or to hell? And the obvious answer, and the answer the Bible gives is that it's to hell. And what Jesus was doing was exposing their sinful thoughts and actions So they would see their helpless condition. That's the point. Get God's view of you. He is the righteous judge. And so you come to a place like this and you say, well, then what's the solution? What's the solution to this, right? Well, let's look at man's solution first. It's the wrong solution. Man's view is the solution is to have your evil cleansed by mankind. Maybe by yourself, maybe by a priest, maybe by someone else. And that's what the Pharisees believe. That's how they practice. If we follow these religious rules that the rabbis set up for us, then we can be good people in God's eyes, you know? The bad things we do can be washed away. So if I wash my cup this way and wash my hands this way, God, don't you like this? This is good. This is great, God. And that's how humanity naturally thinks. I feel bad. Man, I did something bad. I'm going to try to make it up to God tomorrow. I'm going to give an extra $50 to the church. No, that's not how God views it life and 
That's not God's solution. Or I'm going to go to confession and talk to a person that's behind a screen. No, that isn't, that's not what God says to do. There's no man that can take away your sin or forgive you forgiveness. Well, I'll, I'll pray these prayers. It's like, if I say these words just like this, and maybe if I count these beads, or if I do these rituals, that's, that's man's way of thinking that he can try to be declared righteous in God's eyes. He can try to be good before God. But what did, what did we read? Romans 3.10. For by the works of the law, no human being will be declared righteous in his sight. The law actually shows us our sin. So what's God's solution? The solution of evil is to be cleansed by Jesus Christ alone. To be cleansed by Jesus Christ alone. And we're not going to go through this uh, next part of the Mark chapter 7, but the next couple of verses, that's what he shows people. So this passage we, we went through today just talks about the evilness of our heart, the sinful nature we have. And then he talks about the solution. But what's the solution? In fact, look down in, in Romans chapter 3. This is a great passage to read through if you're wanting to understand God's view of you. If you look down in verse 21, the Bible says, but now the righteousness of God, that is, that is the righteousness that Jesus had. Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived the life you could never live. The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. So God's laws, commands, show us how good God is and how bad we are. But he's saying there's, there's a righteousness apart from the law. It's in Jesus Christ. So although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they tell about Jesus coming in his righteousness. And this is the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who are good enough. Is that what it says? No, for all who believe, for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are sinners by nature. But verse 24, here's our hope and we can be justified and are justified or declared righteous. God will change his view of you by his grace as a gift, as a gift through the redemption. That's that, the fact that Jesus uh, bought, purchased our redemption on the cross. That is the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. In other words, Jesus faced the punishment, propitiation is the punishment by his blood to re- be received by Good works. Is that what it says? By faith. You notice he says faith, believe, faith, believe. And when he talks about good works, he says, that's not how you get to heaven. That actually shows you that you're a sinful person when you look at the works of the commands of God. But what you need to have is faith. Because you need to have Jesus apply his righteousness to your life. And how does God do that? It's by something called Grace it's by something called grace. That's that's God's work in your life. When when God works, when he when he gives you his gift of grace, God applies Jesus' righteous life to your life, changing God's view of your sin. And His grace then changes your nature. It changes your nature. And how do you receive that? Work of grace by God, it's by faith. In fact, I was talking to a person this past week, another person, and this person was without Christ, and they, not a believer, and we were talking through some of these things, and actually it was really interesting, almost the exact same thing that I'm talking about here, I talked with this person. And they were admitting that they don't follow morally what the Bible teaches, and they were living a lifestyle that was against God's word. This person says, but I've tried to change, and I can't. 
You know, I, I've tried to be religious enough. I tried to go to church. And I know you religious people say go to church or go to this camp or whatever, and that can reform you. But I've tried it. I can't do it. I just can't change who I am. What do you think about that? You know what I said? You're right. You can't. Right. That's the gospel, people. You're right. You can't. But God can change you. Churches, religious deeds, rituals can't change you. You need a divine spiritual intervention that changes your heart and your nature. You need the the work of God. That is called grace. And so I, I talked through with this person and said, listen, it's for by grace, that's God's work, for by grace you're saved by God, not by yourself. For grace you're saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a a gift of God. It's not of work, so any man should boast. So God gives us this gift of grace. He works in your life. And you're saying, well, that's what I want. I need that, so I just need to go to church more. No, you got it wrong again. You need God to divinely work in your life through grace. And you say, well, then how do I do that? I need that. I need that. You need to surrender. That's faith. It's saying, I give up, God. I believe your word, I believe your truth, and I believe your son, and I trust you with my life. It's turning from your own sin, your own way, and it's turning to Jesus Christ. You might say, well, does this person say, well, then I need to, need to stop you know, doing these drugs and do this, and then I'll turn to Jesus. No, <laughs> it's not about you changing this. It's actually about you giving up, saying, God, here's me, here's my life. I confess, this is who I really am. I am who you say I am, and I don't want to be that. I want to be like Jesus. So give me the righteousness of Jesus. He lived the perfect life for me. He died the death in my place, and he's the only one that can resurrect this dead soul. I trust you. That's the work that God wants to do in you. Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision, that's a Jewish ritual, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation is what God wants to do in you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation, new creation. So in order for your heart to change, you must be changed by God. You must have a spiritual, we call it rebirth, a rebirth. That can only happen when you surrender yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ by, by faith. Two views of evil in God's view he is good. And he tells you that in his word. Univer- evil is a universal problem. It comes from a sinful heart. And the solution is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the truth we find in your word that tells us of the plan that you had from before time began. And that is that Jesus is our redeemer. And he came to this earth, born of a woman, but fully God, lived that life that we could never live, died that death in our place, was resurrected and now sits on the right hand of the Father. And we are so thankful for the promise of forgiveness in Christ. Jesus, you purchased 
our redemption, Jesus. Thank you. As we sang earlier, your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. God, I, I imagine there's maybe a person or a couple people in here right now who in their heart, they go, I, I don't think that's me. I don't think I've actually trusted in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray right now in their seat for the cry out to you, give their life to Jesus Christ. God, I pray for us as, as believers in here, give us a correct perspective. I mean, so many times we can blame this and that. And yeah, there are influences, God, but we also need to go back to where's our heart with the Lord? And how are we trusting you and looking to your son, Jesus Christ, for grace? So God, help us as a church. We want to grow to be more like Christ. We want to take this gospel to our community. God, we need your grace. In Jesus' name.